0: Let me, there's the title, and then I'm going to pray. Uh, A a wonderful life together in the church. A wonderful life together in the church. And we'll have a look at Colossians 3 from verse 9 to 17. Let's let's settle. uh, Let's open up the Word. Let's pray. And let's really seek to intently listen to what God would have for us this morning. Father, in the name of your Son, the glorious King, the servant King, who by His death has redeemed us and reconciled us to you and one another, we would pray for a glimpse this morning of what a wonderful life together looks like in the church. Father, not faultless, not perfect, but yet can be wonderful. And I pray that your spirit would take this word and would transform us as a body to look more and more like the body that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, have a look at this uh, opening statement. And uh, Christians live with Jesus. Christians... Live with Jesus. If you've got your Bible and you flick back to chapter 2, verse 6, it says, just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live in Him. It could well be translated, continue to live with Him. With Him. Christ lives in us, chapter 1, verse 27. In Ephesians 3, 17, Paul's praise that Christ may live or dwell in our hearts more and more. If you've got your Bible, chapter 3, verse 16 of Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell or live in you. Chapter 3, verse 3, our lives are hidden in Christ. You might live with members of your family, you might live with a friend, you might live on your own, you might live with a pet. But Christian, you live with Christ. You live with Christ. You live with the cosmic Lord of the universe who condescended to become man, to die and rise from the dead, to reconcile us to the Father so that we might live with Him starting now and then we'll be face to face in glory one day. Chapter 3, verse 4, When Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with Him in glory. And because of this here is the first aspect of living with Christ Christians slay their sin. If you've got your Bible open have a look at chapter 3 verse 5. It says put to death therefore in light of in light of living with Christ slay your sin. Put your death put your sin to death. Down in verse 8 it says get rid of your sin. There's a particular song that we sing from time to time and the words go like this. So I'll stand in faith by grace and grace alone. I'll run the race by grace and grace alone. I will slay my sin by grace and grace alone. Because we live with Christ, Christians are to slay their sin again and again and again. Let me put it like this. If you dwell with the most beautiful, most glorious, most wonderful, most sinless Lord of the universe, would that not be motivation enough for you to daily, continually slay your sin as you continually live with Christ? You may well have heard of mythical dragon slayers. But I want to ask you this morning, Are you as a Christian continually slaying your sin as you continually live with Christ? But the passage before us from verses 9 to 17, which will be our focus, there's there's a movement where it changes from living with Christ individually and it suddenly moves to, to, to living with Christ corporately. In other words, it's not just living with Him individually, but us living together with Christ. So here's our second point. Christians are body parts. Christians are body parts. Got your Bible? Follow with me. Have a look at the text with me. Verse 9, and I want you to notice the corporate nature of of the verses. Verse 9, do not lie to one another. Here in the church, verse 11, there's no Jew or Gentile. There's no circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Verse 12, Therefore as God's chosen people. Verse 13, Bear with one another. And sort of summed up as you go down into verse 15, Since as members of one body. Living with Christ is is not just living with Christ individually and personally but living with Christ with his people his body yes you live with Christ but yes you live with Christ in a body and have a look at this picture that I'm that that that's coming up hope it's uh, on on its way up as you look at that, that, that picture, there is no such thing as, as, as free-floating, detached body parts. The Bible knows nothing of, of someone who claims to be a Christian, but is not walking deeply attached to the body of Christ. And I hope that you realize that, that, that coming to church on a Sunday morning like this morning, this does not denote that you are truly connected to the body of Christ. You being here this morning can be nothing else but simply a dutiful attendance. God has saved us into what we call the universal body of Christ. We are part. Christian, you are part of the body of Christ. But the question is, is that a living reality as part of a local church of believers just like this one? Or... As you look at that picture again, is that your reality? That in fact, you might be here, but the reality is that you're just a detached, somewhat floating body part. Wonderful life together in the church is when we're living our body-partedness, when we're living that which we've called to be. As we further go into verses 9 to 17, what this passage does, it further unpacks what a wonderful life in the body looks like. And I wonder if some of you remember the words of the famous Louis Armstrong song, What a wonderful world. You do. So you're going to sing it in just a moment. But let me, just give you a, let me just give you some words. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, that wasn't even in tune. So let me ask you again. Try it again. I see skies of blue and clouds of white, the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night. And I think to myself, Oh, that was so much better. Ooh, except for that last bit. Okay. It can be such a wonderful world in the body, in the church, us together. So let me take you to my third aspect. Christians slay their sins. Christians are body parts. And here's my third one. And this might be a little bit of a surprise for you. But Christians are free from rules. They are free from rules. I wonder if you realize there are no rules in the body of Christ. If you've got an NIV in front of you, you will see two hideous chapter titles. Do you see them in the NIV? What do they say? Rules for holy living. Verse 17, rules for holy living for Christian households. Please, scratch it out. That is not in the original text. They should not be there. Cross them out. In our lives together as Christians, there are no human rules. There are no human or religious regulations of what must and mustn't be done. A Christian church is not shaped by rules, but shaped by a servant king, Jesus, who loves His people. And if the only, the only if you want to rule, the only one that you can have is verse 15. Notice, it says where we are told, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. We'll look at that later. Here's the thing. In a wonderful life together in the church, it's very easy for us to slip into, into rules like, you must do this, you mustn't do that, you can't do that, it must be done this way, it has to be done in this frequency, and so on and so on. If you look down at verse 17, Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul means is if you're going to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it means let it look like Jesus. In other words, let it look like His death. Let it look like His resurrection. Let it look like dying to self and living for Christ and for others. What this also means, brothers and sisters, is that there are no human rulers in the church. How many heads are there? How many heads? One. There's one head, the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's one body. There are no human rulers in the church. So, if you, if you have a look at uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse, uh, we'll come back to that one. No, no. If you look back at Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, and he is the head of the body, the church. If you are a body part Christian, then you only have one head, not two, Jesus Christ. And what I want to do, therefore, is I really want to put pastors and leaders in the church, including myself, into, into place. Pastors... Elders, deacons, and whatnot, we are not rulers in the church. We as pastors do not have authority over the church. And again, church, if we want the word rule, it is Christ who rules His church through His word. I want to show you something. Every single church government is flawed. I know the Baptists like to think that theirs is perfect, but it's not whether it's congregational, Presbyterian, uh, Anglican, and so on, every church government is flawed. But if there's one thing that the Baptist congregational government has got right, which we reflect in our Constitution, it's this. Let me show it to you. In our Constitution, chapter 7, verse 1. The Lord Jesus Christ is acknowledged as the supreme head of the church. Jesus Christ alone is the head of the congregation and not any human authority or power. He rules by His Word. That is so sweet. So let me say again, as pastors, elders, deacons at the leadership, we do not have authority over the congregation. We do not have authority over one another. Christians don't rule over anyone. Christians are servants. They are not lords. Christians are servants. They are not rulers. We do not lord over one another. We love over one another. I want to ask you this morning, Christian, I wonder if there are any ruler tendencies in you. I wonder if there's any sort of lord attitudes in you. If there's any sort of desire to rule. The other question is, BBC, do we have any unwarranted, unnecessary rules that we expect Christians to perform? Here's number four. Christians are recreated image bearers. Have a look at verse 11 with me. Here, meaning in the church, there's no Jew or Gentile, there's no circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Superiority and inferiority was the name of the game in the first century of Rome. Jews saw themselves as superior to Gentiles. If you were religiously circumcised, you saw yourself as superior to the uncircumcised. The Scythians and the Barbarians, they were considered an inferior, racially mixed group. If you were a master, you were superior to your slave. If you were a man, you were superior to a woman. Drop down to chapter 3, verse 18. If you're a husband, you're superior to your wife. If you're a a parent, you're superior to your child. And so it would go on and on and on. In the body of Christ, there is no authority of anyone over anyone, and there is no superiority of anyone over anyone. Regardless of background, gender, regardless of upbringing, nationality, religious background, education, or anything in between, there is no such thing as someone having superiority over someone else. Now, I want to show you something. We often say that we're all made in the image of God, right? Every human being is made in the image of God however flawed we are, right? But that's not true of Christians. Well, it is, but it isn't. Let me show you what I mean. Have a look at verse uh, 10 with me in the passage, which is the context of verse 11. And, 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 And have put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its Creator. In other words, what Paul is saying is that every single Christian has been recreated, not into the image of God, but recreated into the image of who? Into the image of Christ. Every Christian has been renewed or recreated into the image of Christ. Every Christian, male, female, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, whatever the case. So let me ask you this. If all Christians have been renewed and recreated into the image of Christ, who has authority over someone else? Who has superiority over someone else? The answer is, None. None. Do you think that somehow someone else is superior to you? Do you think that somehow you are inferior to someone else? It's very level at the foot of the cross. And it's very level if we're all renewed in the image of Christ our Savior. Are you with me? Here comes number five. Christians slay their sin. They are body parts. They are free from rules. They are recreated image bearers. Number five, Christians are constant clothe changes. I'm not sure this will ever happen in Bustledon, but it might. Uh, Did you know that in some Kmart stores up in WA, they are open 24 hours? Did you know that? Anybody excited about that? Nah, didn't think so. But if they are open 24 hours, it means that their changing rooms are open 24 hours a day. The church should be an ever-open, very busy, 24-hours-a-day changing room. What do I mean? Have a look at verse 9, 10 with me, linking into verse 12. Since you've taken off your old self with its practices, you put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of its creator, right? Therefore, as God's chosen people, verse 12, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. The Greek just simply says put on, but I think clothe yourselves is a good translation. In Christ, we have been permanently clothed with His righteousness. What that means, Christian, is that we are righteous. We are holy. We are renewed in the image of Christ. But, but in a sense, we're still clothed in the old body, aren't we? We, 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 we are new in Christ, but we've still got that, 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 old, that, that old body. And it's still generating evil desires. So here's the picture. We are new, and we, but we're still clothed in the old body. So Paul says, well, because you're renewed, what we need to keep on doing is we need to constantly keep changing our clothes. In other words, keep putting off the dirty stuff, keep putting off the acts of sin, and keep putting on godliness. Put off the dirty clothes, put on the new clothes, put them off, put them on, put them off, put them on. Keep doing that. Go back to verse 5, uh, where, where, where Paul says, killing sin, and, and verse 8, getting rid of sin. That That's putting off, putting off, putting off. Keep changing the dirty clothes and keep putting on. Now let me show you what they are. Coming up on the screen, and if you guys could uh, just keep that uh, slide up for, for a few moments. Here, here are the sort of the dirty clothes that we have to keep putting off. We... we, 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 we Keep putting off sexual immorality and impurity and lust and evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Down in verse 8 of chapter 3, we keep putting off anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language. Uh, chapter 3, verse 9, we keep putting off lying to one another. That's sort of the, the pull off the dirty. Here's, the, here's the, the keep putting on the clean clothes of, of, of godliness. We, we look at it verse 12. We keep putting on compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another. We keep putting on forgiveness and we keep putting on love which sort of wraps up the whole thing together. Now keep looking at that for a moment. When I talk about a wonderful life in the church together, it does not mean the absence of sin, does it? It cannot mean that. A wonderful life in the body together means that we are a body that keeps changing clothes. We keep putting off the dirty and we keep putting on the good. We keep putting off sin. We keep putting on godliness. The church is one big changing room where we're putting off and putting on. Um, From time to time at the gym while in the changing room uh, there'll be an a parent that will pop their head into the gym, into the changing room, and shout, Kids, get out of the shower! I mean, some kids decide that the gym is the place to have a 45-minute shower, right? We don't really get out of the changing room, do we? Because we keep what? Putting off in putting on that's what a wonderful life in the church looks like number six Christians are peacemakers maybe you've had the experience that a church resembles more of a war zone than a changing room but have a look at verse 15 with me let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you were called to peace. If you've got your Bible and you want to flick back to it, 120. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Here's the thing Christ, by his sacrifice on the cross, has reconciled us to the Father. And Christ, by his sacrifice on the cross, has reconciled us. To one another, And in fact, even bigger than that, Christ has reconciled all of creation to Himself. But as you and I have been reconciled to one another in the body of Christ, we are called to pursue peace. We are to pursue the peace and the harmony in the body of Christ. Now here's the thing. If Paul says that we are to pursue peace, he obviously has in mind that from time to time there isn't going to be peace in the church, is there? From time to time, Christians are going to wear their dirty clothes longer than they should, and sin is going to sort of come up and manifest. And and as that happens, we are going to need to pursue peace. Now, here's the question. How do you do that? How do you pursue peace? And I want to show it to you in verse 16. It's such an important verse, and we'll come back to it a little bit later in my series as well, so I'll just be brief. How do you pursue peace in the church? How do you pursue harmony when, when when Christians continue to wear their dirty their dirty clothes longer than they should? What does this look like? Here it comes. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Now listen carefully. What verse sixteen is saying? Is this the way that we pursue peace? Is that we have to continually bring the word of Christ to one another. We have to keep bringing the word of Christ to each other to say, keep putting off and keep putting on. In other words, we are to lovingly admonish one another with the word of God over and over and over. When sin is festering in the church, when it's popping up, when those dirty clothes are being worn longer than, than they should, it's not just me bringing you the Word of God. That's an important part here on a Sunday, wherever. But it's us. We bring the Word of God to one another. We admonish one another. We bring that Word to, to, to bear. We're bringing the authority of the Word to bear on one another. It's not bring a person's authority to bear. What that means in practice is that you and I have to have the courage to bring God's word to one another and then we've got to have the humility to accept it from a brother or sister and not get all personally offended and leave the church. If you see any of the sins being manifest in this passage, verse 5, verse 8, if you start to see any of those sins manifest in the life of another believer, You have to gently, graciously admonish them with the Word of God. What does admonish mean? It means to gently correct. Admonish means to lovingly call someone to repentance. When the sins come up in church, we don't turn a blind eye. We don't turn a deaf ear. We don't sweep it under the carpet. We don't go and gossip it to someone else. We lovingly, gently admonish one another with the Word of God. One of my sons, just the other day, and not for the first time, came to me and said to me, Dad, Dad, when you spoke to me, it wasn't gentle. It was harsh. I had to accept that admonition. I had to seek his forgiveness. He admonished me. Again, not for the first time. It was good. It was humbling. It was a little painful. But it was good. A little while ago, I witnessed a fellow believer speaking to another believer in a very harsh and ungodly way. It was horrible, they were rude. I sort of just let, it, just let it go for a little while and, and then I spoke to that believer and I gently called them to repentance for the way that they had spoken to that believer. You know what happens, don't you, when we don't admonish one another. You know what happens, don't you, when we allow sin to fester You know what happens when we turn a blind eye or sweep it under the carpet or we go and gossip it to someone else. You know what happens, don't you? Disharmony. Disunity. Chaos. Broken relationships. Hurt. Will you be a peacemaker in this church? Will you? Now, if you're going to say yes... What you're saying yes to is that I will seek to lovingly admonish another with the Word of God and I am willing to be admonished with the Word of God lovingly and gently. That's what a wonderful life in the church looks like. But let me give you one more. Wonderful life in the church together looks like a grateful body. They are grateful. If you looked at the passage, I hope that you noticed the theme of gratitude or thankfulness. So look at verse 15 and be thankful. Verse 16, with gratitude in your hearts. Verse 17, giving thanks to the Father. If we sort of pull back a little bit into the book of Colossians as a whole, Chapter 1, verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Chapter, 12, um, chapter, chapter 1, verse 12, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. Chapter 2, verse 7, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. I've got a little bit of a question for you, but you may answer it afterwards and you can speak to me over tea. I've heard it said, and only true blue-blooded Aussies are able to answer this question. I've heard it said that Aussies are ungrateful for what they have. It is said that Aussies don't know how good they have it. It is said that Aussies are ever whining how bad they have it. They're never satisfied of of what they've got. And they just want more and more and more and more, which is why the government is always dishing out money more and more, especially at election time. Life together in the body of Christ is marked by an overflowing gratitude and thankfulness. And I want to give you a little picture from the book of Colossians of exactly what you and I are to be thankful for and why we should be thankful. So take a look at this and I'll run through it briefly with you. We are to be thankful. Chapter 3, verse 15. Can we put that back up? Thankful for each other in the body of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 15. We are thankful to God the Father for everything that He's done for us. Chapter 3, 17. We are thankful that God has chosen us to be holy and dearly loved people and children of God, 3.12. Thankful that we have been renewed, recreated in the image of Christ, 3.11. We are thankful, chapter 3, verse 5, that we have been rescued from the wrath of God. We are thankful that we will appear with Christ in glory Three, four. We are thankful that our lives have died with Christ. We're thankful that our lives have been raised with Christ. We're thankful that our lives are hidden with Christ. We're thankful that, that, that we have been reconciled to, to the Father. We are thankful that Christ has, has won the victory over every spiritual, evil, demonic power at the cross. We are thankful, chapter 2, verse 13, that Christ has forgiven all our sins at the cross. He's made us alive with Him. He's circumcised our hearts. We've got the fullness of Christ living within us. We are thankful that there's Christ in us. We are so thankful that the gospel has come to us in living, changing, transforming power. Aren't we? Wow. And that's just a little snippet for what we are thankful for. I love this line. I read it. It really stuck. It's very simple. We can be so thankful because we are not taxpayers with rights, but we are sinners saved by grace. We're not taxpayers with rights. Sinners saved by grace. How grateful are you, Christian? Is, is, is this a grateful body? Is, is this a body of believers where we're overflowing with thanksgiving and gratitude for what Christ has done for us? Are we? I'm going to sum up and then uh, close with something a little bit more personal. So, wonderful life in the body together. Christians slay their sin. They are body parts. Christians are free from rules. They are recreated image bearers. They constantly change their dirty clothes. They are peacemakers. Christians are are grateful. Brothers and sisters, would you forgive me when I have not pursued the peace of Christ in this body as I should? Would you forgive me when instead of dying to self, I have lived for self? Would you forgive me when I have not changed my dirty clothes as constantly and as quickly as I should? Would you please forgive me for taking any undue authority in this place? please would you forgive me for placing too much emphasis on the minors of the gospel. Would you forgive me for not having an open hand and being more gracious to my brothers and sisters who have a different point of view on things that are not directly core and on the gospel. Would you forgive me and would you please continue to admonish me And please would you bring to me the word of God gently and graciously that I might become more and more like Christ in this body. Giving thanks to the Father through everything that Jesus Christ has done for us. Would you pray with me? Father, I know that each of us here this morning, as your believers, as your children, as your people, I know that deep down in our hearts, we just want to be, we, 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 we are the body of your Son, and we just want to be that more and more. We want to manifest that show, that we, we want to taste, we want to experience more of that wonderful life together. And I pray Father, that as we slay our sin together, as we embrace our body partedness, as we embrace the freedom that we have in the body of Christ, as we understand the new creation that you've made us to be, that as we continually change our clothes and we pursue peace, and we are so grateful for what you've done for us, we will taste and see what the body of life can be. Father, would you forgive me where I've broken down instead of building up? Would you forgive us for where we have done the same? And would we come before each other in humility and grace and forgiveness and patience and forbearing and love, admonishing one another with all gentleness and grace? We thank you, Father, for the privilege, the honor, and the glory of having, experiencing, tasting a wonderful life in the body together, this side of eternity, which will be glorious forever one day when you send your Son to fetch us.